seated. Uh, it is good to it is good to praise. It is good to engage with our minds. It is good to engage in conversation. Uh, remember that all of this, because our lives are called to be this, but all of this is is meant to be is called to be worship of God. And so we are not stopping worship now as we move into the sermon. We are continuing worship in a different way as we engage with our, our thoughts, as we engage with his word, as submitting to it and desiring to be more and more like Jesus. Uh, so before we begin, we're going to continue in our series on 2 Corinthians. Before we begin, if you would just please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for how good you are to us. Thank you for the beauty and the blessing of your bride that you have allowed us to be part of this. So may you be glorified this morning. May none of this be about us. May it all be an offering for you. Teach us in this time. Give us hearts softened to your word. Use it. Make us like Christ. May he be magnified and no one else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21, and we're going to be in that same passage this week. Uh, we looked at a chunk of verses that have two really big ideas in them. And last week, we looked at this verse, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Part of the Christian language, part of the Christian vocabulary, do we really understand what it means to be a new creation? And so we looked at these verses, 11 to 21, and we looked at how the Bible teaches us that to be a new creation, in this passage we see it laid out in God's Word, that it means to be new in our standing, our legal standing before the Lord. It means we are given a new heart, and in that new standing before the Lord, in that new heart, it gives us a new approach to life. This passage also lays out a very specific application of that new approach to life as ambassadors of reconciliation. And just like we said last week with new creation, I think reconciliation is frequently a word we use a lot in Christian circles, we talk a lot about in the church. Can we really explain reconciliation? Can we give a simple, concise, here's what it means to be reconciled? Or do we start talking, well, it involves this, but this passage really lays out what does reconciliation mean? Because if I'm called to be an ambassador of something, I better be able to explain it and to know what it is I'm representing and what has happened in my life. And so we're going to again go back to that same passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21, and we're going to look at what is reconciliation. If you're able, please stand, not out of routine, not out of ritual, but out of respect for God's word, for respect of the words of our King. This is 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated. We're really going to focus in on four of those verses. We're going to really look at verse 16 and then verses 18 to 20. Again, last week we looked at kind of 11 to 15, and then 17 there in the middle, 21 there at the end. I'm going to repeat it just one more time. What does it mean to be a new creation? A new creation means I have new eternal standing before the Lord, which brings with it a new heart, which brings with it a new approach to life. This is a new creation. This is who you and I are as followers of Christ, as adopted sons and daughters of God. So in that new approach to life, as we take it to the next step, if I am a new creation and I am in, okay, I'm a new creation, I understand this, I want to pursue this new approach to life, what is that approach? Well, that approach is quite simply personal ownership of being an ambassador for the gospel. Personal ownership of the message of Christ for the lost world. Personal ownership of the lost in your neighborhood. Personal ownership of the lost where you work. Personal ownership of serving as an ambassador. This is what Scripture lays out for us. So let's look at these truths as we work through this passage. First, verse 16. I love verse 16. It is challenging every single time I read it. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, so in light of, remember we've talked about this numerous times, when you see therefore in the Bible, it's saying, hey, pay attention to the five or six things you just read, because based on that, this is the logical conclusion. This is the only possible conclusion. This is the holy conclusion to what we just looked at. So in light of Christ dying for us, in light of us living for him, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Reminder, we've talked about this time and time again. When the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about who we were before Christ. You have Colossians 2.11. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. So that circumcision, that means of God showing His people set apart. For those of us in Christ, it is that dying to self. It is that resurrection of new life with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have put off the old. I have cast it aside. Hebrews 12, let us set aside everything that so easily entangles and run the race with perseverance. That is the flesh. That is the sin in us. That is the bitterness in us. That is the battle we will fight every day until Jesus comes back. We are not perfect, flawless human beings. We are being sanctified. So this flesh, that is how we no longer regard people. Because what does he go on to say? He says, look, at one point we even regarded Christ according to the flesh. Who wrote 2 Corinthians? Paul. 
What did Paul do before God got a hold of him? Persecuted Christians. When Jesus meets Paul and encounters him on the road to Damascus, he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? So when Paul talks about, look, we used to regard even Christ according to the flesh, he's talking about it from a perspective of, yeah, I was literally physically engaged in trying to stamp this out. That was my fleshly reaction to Christ. Now I no longer regard Christ according to the flesh, to the sin in me. So now I no longer regard the world around me according to the sin in me. So the first thing we see in this new approach to life, in this ownership of being an ambassador, is we have to allow God to change the way we look at the world around us. The way we think of the lost people around us. How ought we to look at the dying, hurting world. How did Jesus do it? Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Guys, is the world around us full of sin? Yes, absolutely. Because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. They don't need our scorn. They don't need our contempt. They don't need our mocking. They don't need our derision. They don't need our insults. They need the compassion of Christ because they're like sheep without a shepherd. It's why the Bible refers to them as lost. We all live in this area. If somebody came up to you and was like, hey, I'm lost, could you tell me where downtown is? I, I know, you, you guys, are, you're nice people. You wouldn't be like, well, that's your fault for getting lost. No, I'm not going to tell you. You'd be like, yeah, hey, take this right, take that left, boom, you're downtown. Why? That's what you do with lost people. You help them find where they're trying to get to, where they need to get to. We've said this before. If there was a blind person walking on stage, tripping over the mic cords, tripping over the music equipment, none of us would sit here and be like, well, serves them right for being blind. If you didn't want to trip, you shouldn't have been blind. No, we'd be like, oh my goodness, I need to go help that person. I need to have compassion on that person. I need to love that person. God calls the lost, sinful people of this world blind. So the first thing an ambassador of Christ does is he learns, she learns how to actually look at the world around us. And verse 16 tells us we don't regard people according to the flesh. The flesh wants to be bitter. The sin in me wants to be condemning. The sin in me wants to be holier than thou. The sin in me wants to mock you. That's not how I can look at the world or how I'm supposed to look at the world. I have to look at the world the way Jesus did. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. What about within the church? Galatians 2.6, still Paul writing. He's talking about the first time he met like the 12 apostles or the 11 apostles, the leadership of the church. And he says, from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. See, we're tempted to look at the world outside the church according to the flesh. But we're also tempted to look at the church according to the flesh. And we love prestige and we love prominence. And we love big. We love influential. We love powerful. We love all these descriptors that we put on people. Oh, that's the big deal. That's the big deal person. That's the big deal group. Paul says, no, it doesn't make a difference. Whether or not other people deem them influential, I'm concerned with what God says. 
So you all are ambassadors on the exact same plane that myself and the elders are ambassadors. We're not like ambassadors gold tier and your ambassadors, you know, aluminum tier. No, you have every much of a right to be an ambassador for the gospel as anyone actually working for a church does. It's not reserved for me. It's not reserved for the people serving in different capacities. This is for all of us. Why? Because we regard no one according to the flesh. 1 Timothy 5.21 And in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules. What's he talking about? In Timothy, in the letters to Timothy, he has laid out church practice and church doctrine. He's helping Timothy understand this is how you lead a church. This is how you teach a church. This is how you apply these truths to the practical life of the body of Christ. And he says, I charge you to apply these rules, to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's how we regard the world as ambassadors. That's how we regard the Christian world. That's how we regard the world within the church. Not according to the flesh. Not according to, well, he's more influential. He, no. According to the grace of God, the truth of God, no partiality, no favoritism. How do we regard the world outside the church? Not with contempt, but with compassion. Not with bitterness, but with love, with mercy. Let's say, the Lord is slow. Do I want Jesus to come back? Yeah, yesterday. That'd be awesome. If I didn't get to finish this sermon because Jesus returned, I'd be more excited than any of you. I am grateful that God is patient because I have loved ones in my life who if Jesus came back today, they would not be in heaven. So I am grateful for God's patience. I am grateful for God's mercy and compassion. I am grateful that God's heart is for all to reach repentance. That must be our heart when we consider the lost world. Think of that, that famous person. Think of that athlete. Think of that celebrity. Think of that politician, right, who is so anti-God and so anti-Christianity, and they're part of what's ruining society. When God looks at that person, he says, okay, I'm going to be patient because I want them to reach repentance. You and I need to look at that person and say, okay, I want them to reach repentance. I'm going to work towards this. I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to do whatever I can as an ambassador to move the church towards this. Verse 16, we no longer regard people according to the flesh. And then what's he go on and he says a little bit later in this passage, he says, we implore you, we beg you, we plead with you, this is not a quick, casual request. Hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? No, this is, I'm begging you with everything I have. Every fiber of my being, every beat of my heart is pleading with you, be reconciled to God. But what's in between there? He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ. Because see, you and I in our flesh, we're going to wrestle with not liking people. We're going to wrestle with not wanting the best for other people because they have wronged us. So we implore you 
on behalf of Christ because there is a recognition that Christ's heart is for their holiness and that supersedes my selfish, broken heart every day of the week. So even if I don't want to forgive someone, Christ does. Even if I don't want to love someone, Christ does. Even if I don't want someone to experience mercy or grace, Christ does. And so he implores us through Paul's pen, he implores us to not lose sight of this fact that we regard no one according to the flesh, but we regard the world according to the eyes and heart of Christ. This is who an ambassador is at the core of their being. And then what are we ambassadors of? Reconciliation. I mean, this verse, these passages literally say he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We are ambassadors. We are ministers of Reconciliation. What is it? Big fancy word. What's it mean? An exchange. It was originally a money term. If you've ever traveled to another country, you've got to swap currency, you go to the exchange desk. Here's this, I get this back. We traded. That's what reconciliation, that's where the word comes from. Now, when it's applied to people, when it's applied to people in a holy setting, and it's applied to people in an eternal setting, it's not just a simple exchange of currency, it's an exchange of standing. This goes back to if anyone is in Christ, he has a new creation. What is a new creation? A new eternal standing. Reconciliation means to change from enmity to friendship. The Bible says when we are sinners without Christ, we are enemies of God. We are actively opposed to him in our hearts and our minds. When we are reconciled to God, that is exchanged. That enmity, that strife is taken away. That discord is taken away. And it is exchanged for friendship. I mean, do you realize Christ calls you his friends? Do you realize Christ, like, Christ calls you his friends? Who do you want to hang out with? Your friends. Who do you love seeing? Your friends. We're called brothers and sisters of Christ. We're called conquerors and co-heirs with Christ. The enmity is exchanged there's reconciliation. It begins with the Lord. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We did not initiate this. Don't get an ego. Don't get it twisted. Reconciliation is not ours to dole out. I can choose who I let drive my car, because I own the keys. That's not the same of reconciliation. I don't choose who gets to be reconciled. Well, I don't like you because you wronged me in the seventh grade, so you don't get to drive the car of reconciliation. No, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself, even though we were undeserving, even though we were unworthy. And then he says, okay, in that I give you this ministry. I give you this message. I make you ambassadors of reconciliation. Really think about what happened here. Look at what the Bible says about this over and over again. This is Isaiah 6, 1-7. This is the passage that famously starts with, In the year King Uzziah died, I lifted my eyes and I saw the Lord on His throne and the train of His robe filled the temple. A reminding of that eternal perspective that we have talked about time and time again in this series. But listen to what he goes on to say. 
in this passage. Isaiah 6, 1-7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, angels. Each had six wings, with two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, the whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. These seraphim are calling out, holy, holy, holy. When you repeated something three times in Hebrew language, you were communicating that this was the perfection of it. So the angels are saying God is the perfection of holiness, the essence of holiness. Isaiah enters his presence and he does not say, yeah, it makes sense that I'm here. He says, and I said, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Reconciliation. See, Isaiah, when confronted with the pure holiness of God, arrived at one undeniable conclusion. I have no business being here because I am unclean. And God initiates the reconciliation. God initiates the removal of the sin. God initiates the atoning for. Consider Ezekiel 33, 11-16. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Uh-oh, God's talking to his people in this passage. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. Reconciliation that begins with God and is given from His love and His grace and His perfection and His truth and His justice. Reconciliation is not denying the standards of the Lord. Reconciliation is not universalism. Everybody winds up in heaven anyway. Reconciliation is not, hey, you're fine the way you are. Just try and be happy and do nice things to people. So reconciliation is not setting aside God's standards. Reconciliation is not setting aside God's truth is not watering down the gospel. It is recognizing that this is a gift from the Lord for sinners like us. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Ephesians 1, 7-8, In Him, Jesus, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That word lavish is to heap abundantly, bountifully, more than you can keep up with. Colossians 1, 18-20, speaking of the Lord Christ, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. The message of reconciliation is ours to share but it is not ours to assign to whom we please and like. 
Jesus to reconcile all things to himself. We are called to spread the message, not reserve it. This is because it is a gift from God, from His grace, from His mercy, from His love, which He lavished upon us. An ambassador understands this. An ambassador understands they are not the final authority. This is who you and I are as new creations, with a new heart, with a new approach and purpose to life. And this is how we love the world. What have we talked about in this series? Time and time again, an eternal perspective, a recognition that the earth is not our home. This is not a trick question, I promise you. Where's the U.S. ambassador to England live and work? England. The ambassador to France lives in France. The ambassador to Germany lives in Germany. So if you and I are ambassadors, clearly we're not living where we're citizens of. We are not citizens of this earth. We do not belong to this temporary life. What does an ambassador do? They represent. If I'm the ambassador to England, and I'm sitting in in whatever meetings ambassadors, I don't know who else they talk to, other ambassadors. I don't know. I don't understand British politics. But if I'm sitting in whatever meeting an ambassador sits in, and they ask a question, and they're like, hey, what's America think? Do I say, okay, cool, let me get you all on a plane, and we'll fly back to America, and then you can ask them, and then we'll fly back here and resume this conversation? No, why? Because the ambassador is there as the authority, as the speaking authority of what they represent. So what's your responsibility as ambassadors to Richland County? To get people here so that they can hear what I have to say? So that I can answer their questions? So that I can share the gospel with them? Your coworker, hey, I have a question. Okay, cool, hold on to that for another week and then come with me Sunday and I know someone who will answer. No, you're an ambassador. You're there to speak. You're there to represent. You're there to have impact. You're there to have effect. It's how we love the world. It's undeniably, inextricably, beautifully, wonderfully, generously how we love the world. I mean, an ambassador, that's a position of honor. What does every president do in our country when they get elected? They immediately point all their friends ambassadors. Because it's a big deal to carry this title, to carry this significance. God calls us his ambassadors. What, is he, what do these verses say? I mean, listen to these again, starting in verse 19. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. So when we say things like, man, God just needs to speak to that person. Yeah, you know how He says in His Word He's making that appeal? Through us. I asked you a few weeks ago when we were looking at this idea of the church being assembled deliberately by the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's plan, I asked you, do you believe that you're God's plan A for reaching the world? Jesus was God's plan for saving the world. Jesus was God's plan for redeeming the world from the beginning of time. God says... That when the heavenly authorities long to look into things, when they ask what is the mystery of God's plan, He revealed the church. Now we get to this passage that it says God is making His appeal through us. So I ask you again, the second time in as many weeks, 
Do you believe you're God's plan A for reaching the lost? Good. Let's live like it. Because this is who we are as ambassadors. We live like this because we love like this. Consider these verses. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is not reserved for the members of Community Bible Church. Jesus is not reserved for your friends at other churches. He is the propitiation for our sins and the sins of the whole world, and they need to hear that. Isaiah 52, 6-10 to Lest we get it twisted, lest we think that this is a burden, lest we think this is an obligation, lest we think this is a duty. No, this is an honor. This is a right. This is a privilege. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 6, Therefore the Lord is speaking. He says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing to be an ambassador for Christ, to share this message. It is not something to be intimidated by. It is not something to be afraid of. It is not something to be shunned or avoided because it makes you uncomfortable. It is a beautiful thing to publish salvation. It is a beautiful thing to declare the Lord is coming. God reminds us of this. Why? Because I think we're inclined to forget it. It's reserved for missionaries. You know, they're the ones who tell people about Jesus. You're a missionary. You're an ambassador. Consider these passages. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We asked this question a few weeks ago as well in this, in this series on 2 Corinthians. Would you want God to approach you with forgiveness the way you approach others? Well, I'll forgive you after you jump through these series. I need to see 10 years of changed behavior and then I'll, extend, then I'll extend forgiveness to you. I'll extend forgiveness to you one day, but I still don't think you've earned it yet. Would you want God to extend forgiveness to you the way you extend it to others? Ephesians says that we forgive others the same way that God forgave us. This is who an ambassador is. Colossians 1, 28-29, Him, Christ, Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For those of you keeping track at home, that was three uses of everyone in one verse. We proclaim to everyone, we teach everyone, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Paul uses a word that's talking about sweat. It's talking about dirty. It's talking about tired. It's talking about hard. 
It's talking about I put in the work. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. There's another theme we've talked about in 2 Corinthians. The empowering of the Holy Spirit for all of this. I said, the day I try and do this on my own, find a new church. Because I've missed the point. We toil for this. We work for this. We strive for this with His energy according to His power. It's one of my favorite passages. Ephesians 3, 20-21. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to what? According to His power at work within us. To Him be the glory. So you can't imagine being an ambassador who transforms your neighborhood. You say that's beyond my scope of imagination. I can't imagine being an ambassador who transforms my workplace. Okay, well, God says that he can do immeasurably more than your feeble imagination can even conceive. So you can't imagine being the ambassador who transforms your neighborhood. God, his power at work within you, the Holy Spirit, my friends, who you are filled with as believers, could transform this country through you as an ambassador. It has never once been about us. It has never been our message to dole out. It has never been our power to speak. It has never been our wisdom to proclaim. It has never been our energy to sustain. In all things, what did it say in Colossians? That in all things He might be preeminent. That includes our effort as ambassadors. And then finally, in case any of these other passages haven't made sense, Consider 1 John 2, 5 to 6. Whoever keeps in his word, in him, talking about believers, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, whoever says he abides in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is how we know we are his when we live like Christ. I don't care how many verses we can memorize if we can't apply them and live like Christ. I don't care how much we give to the church if we can't apply His heart and live like Christ. I don't care how many hours we put in serving other Christians if we're unwilling to lift a finger to serve the hurting world around us. I don't care how much love we extend to one another if we're unwilling to extend love to the hurting world around us. By this we know that we are His, that we walk in the manner in which He walked. How did Jesus walk? He tells us. Let's go to Luke 4. Luke 4, 17-21. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says his ministry, his walk, was to proclaim freedom to the chained, to proclaim sight to the blind. All of this talking about salvation to those destined to die. 
This is how Jesus walked. Proclaiming this with all energy, with all blood, with everything in him. Is he not worthy of our same? So before we say amen, we must recognize that amen means let it be so in my own life. So I hope we as a church with one collective voice cry out amen to this, but I hope it's because we have taken personal ownership of being an ambassador for the gospel. It is not reserved for a certain age range. It is not reserved for a certain income bracket. It is not reserved for a certain education level. It is not reserved for a certain occupation. It is not reserved for a certain neighborhood. We are all ambassadors of the gospel of reconciliation. God making his appeal through us. For this we toil. Your role is not to bring people to our church service. Your role is to bring the gospel to them. If they want to come, cool. I like meeting new people. That's fun. But bring the gospel to them. Don't make them wait for it. This is who we are as new creations. This is what Scripture lays out for us unavoidably in these verses. That we've been entrusted with this as stewards of this. So how are we going to steward it? As we consider these things this week, what do we do every week? We don't want this to be a Sunday-to-Sunday thing. All right, we'll think about it Sunday. We'll take six days off. We'll come back next Sunday. No, as we continue to reflect on this, as we continue to ponder this, to meditate on this, to hide this in our hearts this week, let's apply the Acts model as we pray. How do these verses, how, do, how does 2 Corinthians 5, 11-21, this message of reconciliation, how does this lead me to adore God, to praise God? That's pretty simple. If you're someone who struggles with prayer, I, I don't know what to pray for, okay, let's help. How does this lead to praise God? Lord, I praise you for reconciling me to you. I praise you for forgiving me. I praise you for lavishing this upon me. See, confess. How do these verses, how does this truth lead us to confess? Lord, forgive me for when I have withheld this message of reconciliation. Forgive me for when I have neglected my responsibility as an ambassador. Forgive me for when I have taken it for granted. Forgive me when I've been selfish with this. Thanks, T, gratitude. Lord, thank you for patience. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for love. Thank you for this honor. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for this title. S, supplication, fancy word to ask. Lord, give me the strength to be an ambassador. I've said this before. We, we so frequently pray for, you know, Lord, give me open doors. I honestly think a better prayer, a more effective prayer in my own life has been, Lord, open my eyes to all the open doors around me. I'm telling you, God's given me way more open doors than I've walked through, and I hate saying that. I don't need to pray for open doors. I need to pray for the eyes to see them. I need to pray for the boldness to step through them. It's one thing to see an open door. It's another thing to muster up the courage to walk through it. So ask, Lord, give me the strength to be an ambassador. Give me the energy to be an ambassador. Give me the burden to be an ambassador. Give me the hearts of Christ. I want to look at the world and I want to look at them with compassion. I want to look at them with a heart that has numbered its days and knows my time is running out. Lord, give me these things. Let's apply this model as we pray. As we read, let's read Jonah 3 and 4. A fascinating, fascinating look at an ambassador. Let's read Jonah 3 and 4. 
And then let's ask ourselves, who might God be giving me ambassador ownership of? Who might God be telling me to take the message of reconciliation to? Where has he placed me as an ambassador? Who works in anything to do with medical? People, animals, whatever. Medical? Congratulations, you're the CBC ambassador to the medical community. You work in education? Cool, you're an ambassador to that school. You work in manufacturing, production? Sweet, you're an ambassador there. You work in first response, like wherever you work, that is where you are an ambassador. Wherever you live, if it helps you, I'm serious right now, if it helps you, take a little note card and write on it, ambassador to fill in your street name. Put it over your front door so every time you walk out, you're like, oh yeah, this is, my, this is where I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador on this street. I represent God on this street. I have been tasked with taking his message to the people of this street. You live far away from other streets? Okay, draw a little bit big picture on the map. Where are you placed as an ambassador? Take ownership of it. You know how many lost people are in Richland County? Surely not that many. Small town America, Christian background. Probably not a lot. I passed, what, like eight churches just to get here? And I have a five-minute drive? Based on statistical data, there are over 66,000 lost people in Richland County. 66,000 opportunities for us to transform this community. 66,000 opportunities for us to see heaven rejoice and celebrate. 66,000 opportunities for us to go be an ambassador. And then let's consider, as we've continued to approach Scripture, spending about a month, a month and a half on different verses to internalize them, to know them. Someone willing to share with us what Acts 4.13 says. We've been working on it for five weeks. Does anyone know Acts 4.13? And willing to say. All right, next week. Next week, come back and be willing. But Acts 4.13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were astonished. And perceiving that they were common, uneducated men, they realized they had been with Jesus and gave glory to God. Who cares if you think you're a common, uneducated ambassador? So were Peter and John. That puts us in pretty good company. So as we pray about this, as we read about this, as we reflect on this, internalize what God says in His Word and realize there is not a problem with being common and uneducated. Because when we are commonly uneducated, bold ambassadors, Jesus gets the glory, and that must be the burden of our heart. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your patience with us. We thank you for your mercy and your tenderness and your kindness towards us. We confess, Lord, the times and the ways we neglect this high calling, this holy calling. Forgive us for when we think little of it. We praise you for the gift of it. We praise you for the honor of reconciliation, the honor of taking that message, the joy of getting to be part of your appeal. So, Lord, we ask that you would overwhelm us with a desire for such. 
that you would give us a hunger, a craving, a zeal, a passion, a fire for this. We ask all these things. We praise you for these things. We thank you for these things before your throne, standing here in the blood of Jesus who you use to reconcile us to you. And so we pray in his name. Amen. Everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.